The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Ask a good friends and you shall receive. It's Tuesday. And it's a mailbag day on Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Vespers. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. Sent out a tweet yesterday, Monday, in the early afternoon. The replies were plentiful, and many good questions should give us a pretty good amount of content for this fine Tuesday edition of the pod. First and foremost, I am your host, Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. You guys know that by now. I mean, really... Once you get into February, I don't even know why I still do that. Everybody that's listening at this point was probably listening earlier this year, but you just never know. First rule of broadcasting, maybe that's not the first rule. It's one of them. It's in the top 30 rules of broadcasting. Treat every show like the people listening have never listened to before, which is why you guys are probably annoyed that I repeat myself often, early and often. But that's why, if you're wondering. So welcome in. To anybody that might be new on today's show, of all of them, I am, again, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Would strongly suggest a quick follow over that away. This is a HoopBall presentation. That's at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter. We also have at HoopBallTweets. Hey, interesting news before we get into the mailbag. We got a new podcast coming in the next, I would say, three to four weeks here at HoopBall. So pretty excited about that. Stay tuned for more information on that front. I will bring it to you as it becomes available to my brain. Haven't brought up the fact, the recruiting stuff in a little bit. I think I'll do that here at the beginning of the show before we do the mailbag as well. Specifically, the sales team. It's growing, man. It's building out. But a spot, an additional spot did just open up. We've had uh, what you might call attrition. Can you handle it? Can you handle it? Is maybe the way I should start presenting this. Do you have availability during Pacific business hours? I know I called this daytime availability in the past, which I guess was a little bit misleading. I think I said midday. It doesn't have to be midday. Anytime between 9 and about 4.30 Pacific time. Do you have some hours during your week between 9.30 a.m. and 4.30 p.m., well, 9 a.m. even, and 4.30 p.m. Pacific time? Maybe you work a night job. You got some daytime hours free. Get on the horn for us here at Hoopball. Make some money. Earn some cash. Do it for, uh, I don't know, half a year? Do it for a year? Come on, do it for multiple years with us. The thing that's great about this sales gig that we can offer, and I can't say much more on the podcast, but there is a residual income aspect to it that it's really, the, the commission is really more like getting a raise. So you can snowball for as long as you want. Don't be dirty, you filth mongers. All right, let's get into the questions. Let's just jump right in because there's no point in in putzing around today. We've got, uh, I think, it's like 10 pretty damn good questions. I'm going to filter out a few that are a little bit more specific. And if we have time, we'll get to those towards the end of the show. And these are in no particular order. This is how Twitter ordered them uh, when I happened to pull up the, the list of replies late, late, late on Monday evening as we're doing this podcast so, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't push yours to the end of the list for any reason. They're not in chronological order. I don't know why Twitter lists them the way that they do, but they do. And so here we go. This is from Blake. 
Uh, and these are the, the first of these two questions. Actually, is is wonderful, and and I have a very long and and thought out explanation. I'm going to start with the second one. Blake, you had two questions. Second one is: Do you think Ja can make a Trey Young like jump in terms of ADP for next season? So we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but let me give my best numbers analysis of where we come down on this stuff. Currently, John Moran is averaging 17.6 points, three and a half rebounds, which is way lower than people thought. 7.1 assists, a steal. Not much in the way of blocks. Less than a three-pointer a game on 49% shooting from the field and 78% at the foul line. When we analyze guys, and with Trey Young, the analysis we were looking at was, could he get his field goal percent up to a respectable level to go along with the fact that we knew his popcorn numbers were going to be very large this year. And then they were even bigger because of, you know, obviously guys like John Collins missing extended time and the fact that they traded away half of their roster in the offseason and just left a bunch of young guys that are figuring things out. So Trey Young is sitting at number 16 in 9-cat despite the five turnovers a game because both percentages have taken a nice step forward. His scoring has taken a big step forward. And the other stuff hasn't really peeled off in any meaningful way. There hasn't been much in the way of, of loss. The thing with, with Trey that I think gave folks more confidence, and even, you know, I, like I said, I was not super keen on taking him inside the top 20. That's, I, was, I was too conservative with him, as it turns out. He's actually beating that mark right now, thanks to, again, his own good play and stuff happening around him a little bit. I, I thought something inside the top 40 would be considered a win because that was basically where he ended last year. And that's an important element of this story. We actually saw Trey Young rattle off about a month and a half to two months, pretty much the all-star break to the end of the year, of inside the top 40 production. His field goal percent came up and his value rocketed up because his popcorn numbers were huge. He was being dragged down by one, well, two really, particularly bad categories, field goal percent on high volume and very high turnovers. So the path for him was extremely straightforward. He needed to eliminate hopefully both, but at least one of his two shortcomings. And he kind of did that. You know, his field goal percent still isn't good at 44%, but he's right in there. He's above James Harden this year. You know, 44% is ahead of James Harden. He's tied with Jason Tatum who's, by the way, been shooting better. Freddie Van Vliet's at 41. So there's got, you know, Paul George, 42 and a half. Kyle Lowry, 42. Kemba, 43. So he's pushed himself above some other very good basketball players that sit inside the top 35-ish or so. You guys may have heard my child cackling with glee in the background. That's good background noise. Yep, that's my boy. I don't know what's happening that's so damn funny, but it is outstanding stuff. All right, he's off and doing his thing now, so we can regain our composure here and dive back in. Looking now across at Ja, for one, we do still have two months to see the growth in action. He's number 112. It seems almost mind-boggling that someone putting up 18, 3.5, and 7 with a steal on really good field goal percent is not inside the top 100, but there's a few things holding him back. One, 3.2 turnovers. Uh, he's basically, he's one of just a, a couple of players 
outside the top 100 with over three turnovers a game. It's it, it you're it's a a weird kind of a strange grouping of guys. You don't have that many high usage dudes outside the top 100. Julius Randle is at 158. Uh, Lou Williams is at 2.9, sort of like an honorary, honorable mention. And then De'Aaron Fox, 3.3 turnovers. He's number 118. So Ja is in elite company in terms of he's a guy that's handling the basketball a lot and yet unable to get over that hump. Here's what we're looking at. He doesn't have any single category that's so brutally horrible that you can just say, well, simply fix this and everything will be golden. There's a few things you look at with him and think, all right, here are a few areas we could see improvement. I'd be pretty surprised to see his field goal percent go up a ton from where it is because the the counterbalancing force on that is, is he adding the three-point shot? Everybody does, so presumably he'll be taking more of those next year, but you might see a field goal percent dip uh, on the other side of it. Free throw percent is probably the spot when you look at his numbers and think, where could this young man make an, a, an adjustment and, and make a large jump? And maybe that's the spot. You know, you look, well, you look at the historical numbers, you think, you know, maybe he's not looking at like an 85% free throw stroke and he's not an outside shooter. So you don't, we don't know a ton about what he might be able to become there. I, honest to goodness, I don't, at this exact moment, see that massive leap coming season over season because there's going to have to be across the board growth. Now, the other side of this is that it's very easy to go from number 112 uh, to number 75. There's, you know, there just isn't a whole lot separating guys in that chunk of players. So it could be small, methodical improvements in three or four different categories. I mean, he could go from 17 and a half points to 19 and a half points and three and a half rebounds to four and seven to seven and a half assists and 1.2 steals, little things like that. And maybe the turnovers go from 3.2 to 2.9. If he did all of those little things that I just said, he'd be inside the top 100. But I think this question was more from Blake on the, can he make the leap into say top 25 territory? And the, the simple fact is he doesn't do any one statistical category the way that Trey Young has a couple right now. Trey is beyond elite in scoring at 30 points a game nine assists is certainly colossal i think he's second in the nba right now without looking it up three and a half three pointers a game he's actually out rebounding john moran and 85 percent high volume free throw shooting so yes while trey's turnovers are a massive burden he has i would argue four categories where he is supreme elite type level and with jaw you have none right now. None. He's good with assists. Field goal percent is good. Not great. Good. Certainly for a guard, very good. But outside of that, turnovers are not very good. Free throw percent is not good. The steals and blocks are very low for someone with his athletic ability. You figured there might be more there. The rebounding is actually probably the area that I'm most surprised at how low it's been. Maybe that improves? Although it's hard to see that going now with this team just collecting centers like they're going out of style. And I would think scoring probably improves for him going forward as well. But I don't see the jump from 100 to 25 that we saw with Trey Young because there were these very obvious, giant, gaping things with him. And we actually saw them start to get sorted out at the end of last year.
So that's kind of a cool question, I guess, looking forward a little bit. The other question from Blake, and I apologize, I mean, you know, chew up a quarter of the show here, but Blake says, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't appear to make your own rankings during the preseason. Why is that? That is a great question, Blake, and you are right. Sort of. I don't rank players 1 through 100 individually. You're saying, what the hell are you talking about individually? Those of you guys that have listened to my podcast for a long time, this will sound very familiar to you. I rank players in buckets. And I do most of my draft strategy prep based on ADP. I love ADP. I love it more than life itself. It means everything to me. Because when I look at what a guy, where a guy I think is going to end up, I look to see where he's getting drafted, and I make my call based on whether I think he's going to be a value at that spot or not. I draft, and you know, to my detriment sometimes, because I'm going to miss out on, on the big swings, at least in the early rounds, I'm going to miss out on the big swings, but very much in the early rounds, I draft based on value alone. Value alone. So I don't, you know, in like say I had a top five pick where you're like, Dan, there really isn't a great way to draft by value there. That's an area where I probably do have guys ranked individually because there is, to me, there's these giant gaps between players at the top where I think this year I said Anthony Davis, James Harden, Cat, uh, and Steph were kind of in my top four. And generally that's been right. Steph obviously missing the season with an injury was, was a blow. Uh, I had Giannis as sort of my next tier, which turned out out to be even way too high, and I'm considered one of the people that's down on Giannis in the fantasy community, and then Dame, and then Jokic, and that next grouping, and so on and so forth. So in that top area, the buckets are obviously much smaller. You've got these, like, couple-player buckets. But as you get past that point, I'm looking to see where guys are getting drafted, and I can make up my mind very quickly, am I even going to be targeting this guy? Am I think am I going to be able to get the guy that I'm looking at here? Like for instance, as a, as a point of example, guys like Trey Young and Luka Doncic. You guys know that anybody that listens to this pod knows that I'm down on younger players in general. And so when I saw those guys getting drafted inside the top 20, I thought I just don't I'm basically going to ignore them. Those of you that don't listen to the podcast as often, you might have heard me talking about those players and thinking, boy, Dan hates these guys. But for me, it's all about buckets. If those two guys are getting drafted, in my estimation, at a point that basically eliminates their value proposition, I just kind of write them off. Especially when it's that consistent, you know? It wasn't like you could go into a draft where suddenly Luka was going to fall to, like, 27. It just wasn't going to happen. Same thing with Trey. Someone was going to be targeting those dudes. On the other side of that coin, Nick Vucevic was getting drafted towards the back end, or his ADP was actually towards the back end of the second round. I thought, all right, well, I'm going to put this guy in the, I think he's going to draft be a draft day value bucket. Now, as it turned out, on draft day, I play with way too many hoop ballers, and he ended up going much earlier in the second round. But in a lot of standard leagues that you guys have been telling me about and results you sent me earlier this year, he was getting drafted towards the back end of the second round. He falls into my here's a value play bucket. 
second round value, first round values, second round values, third round values. This is the way I'm looking at stuff. Chris Paul, LaMarcus Aldridge. Now, just because, and here's the reason that I don't set them individual rankings, because I think that clouds your judgment on where you should be taking guys. A lot of what you do on draft day is figuring out where to get your guys. Yeah, I definitely targeted Chris Paul a lot. I did a ton of Chris Pauling. I think I have him in like 60% of my money leagues. I have so much Chris Paul. One of the only places I didn't get him was because I was at the tail end of a round, and so someone, some other hoop baller slash person who listens to this podcast got him before me. I am all in on Chris Paul. You guys know that. But just because I thought he could be a first-round value this year doesn't mean I'm going to take him in the first round. Right? So if I have a list in front of me that says Chris Paul, number 12, or number 14, or 15, or whatever, whatever number you want to fix to him, that's just one more thing I got to be worrying about on draft day. So the very short version of all the things I just said, the very short version of why I don't have my 1 through 100 list, is that I would rather look at as few things as possible. And adding that into the mix would actually be one more thing I'd be trying to balance while that 90-second clock is counting down on draft day. I am looking at the draft window, so I can see what everybody else is looking at. I have my list of bucketed ADP players. Those are the two things I've got open. I've got my buckets. It's a, usually a handwritten sheet because I don't want to switch windows that I'm looking at on my computer screen, or that might throw me off. I've got a handwritten sheet of here are the guys I'm targeting in each round based on their ADP. Say, so here's a guy that's generally going in the second round. I need to be able to get him towards the front end of it if I want him. Or here's a guy that's going at 30. So do I want to wait and see if I can get him towards the end of the third round? Blah, blah, blah. You guys get what I mean with the buckets. So I've got my bucket sheet, and I got the draft window open, and I compare the two. But if I had my own list, that's basically all rolled up into the buckets. That's taken care of. It's, in, it's built in. It's inherent in the way that I construct my value buckets where these guys would be ranked, above or below. Make it binary. Make it easier for yourself. I mean, really, really. If you had, you know, if you have Bam at 43 and Rob Covington at 44... And that gets to you, and it's your turn. Are you going to always take Bam? No. I mean, those guys are effectively in the same bucket on your sheet. I mean, that's just two completely inconsequential examples. I just I pulled two names out of a hat. If you whatever you got, look at a few guys that are ranked close together, or you had them ranked close together on draft day. They're in a bucket. Yeah, they're a little cutoffs. You could make arbitrary cutoffs in guys that have this you know, like the upside play or who's more of a fourth rounder, who's more of a fifth, that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, guys are in groupings. There's pockets of players on your draft board. So put them into value buckets. Simplify. Simplify your life. Good questions, Blake. That got us rolling here. Uh, VP, this is an easy one. Let's go to an easy one in between the, the deep thought stuff. Are you doing a streaming podcast for fantasy playoffs from March 9th through March 29th? And are you reviewing quality game breakdowns? Uh, and then there's a second after this that I'll answer in a second. The answer to that is yes, sort of. 
which is kind of the same answer I gave to the first one. Yes, sort of. I'm going to be doing streaming podcasts when my leagues hit their playoffs, which we don't go the final 10 days. So I think that means that we do actually start on the 29th, or on the 9th, rather. Or 9th would be the last day of that previous... uh, No, you're right. 9th is that Monday. So I think our playoffs round 1 is the 9th through the 15th, round 2 is 16 through 22, and the final round is 23 through 29. And if I... I believe that we lop off the 30th through the 8th. So I think the answer to your question is yes, but I didn't have the schedule of my league in front of me. Um, But basically, yes, I'll be looking at streaming stuff basically at the beginning of March. And yes, I'll be looking well in advance. You know, on Monday, we're going to look to see when guys play. We're going to look for those stretches where it's three games in four days, the teams that go four times in six days. I stream usually about half as many slots, eh, anywhere from half to about two-thirds the number of slots as weekly moves I have. What I mean by that, and obviously it's never going to, it's not going to even out every time, but most of my leagues are four weekly moves. Yahoo, I think that's their default. VPU says in the three move uh, per week league, how many spots do you stream? So uh, you can really stream basically almost like an N minus one is probably about the maximum number of slots you could stream. So three moves per week, you could stream two spots, four moves per week, you could stream three and so on and so forth. And the way you do that is by utilizing the streaming calendar in a slightly more efficient manner than most people are accustomed to. And I've talked about this on premium shows in the past, but I'll I'll do a little spiel here on this one. Don't there's an inclination, I think, for people to stream one slot all week long. But the best you can get out of that is to use all four of your moves to turn one roster slot on your team into a seven-game roster piece. So, like, if you look at that week of March 9th, Is there anybody that goes Monday, Tuesday? No, not a single team plays Monday, Tuesday on that week. So what you really want to do is the previous week, make sure you use a roster move to get someone playing on Monday. Okay, so you don't actually have to use a game. You don't have to use a move on the Monday of your playoff week. You've you've sort of preloaded yourself with some Monday guys. Uh, Look for teams that have four game weeks. That would be a nice way to start. If you could find a team that goes four times starting on Monday and ending on Saturday, that would be a great way to start. I think there's only one team that does that, amazingly. It's Utah. I think Utah has the best start of the playoff schedule of any team in the NBA. They go uh, four games Monday through Saturday, which allows you the opportunity to make a move on Sunday of that week, save one move, drop your Jazz player, and milk one more extra game out of it. But when I say maximize your efficiency, say you played your Utah guys all the way through, they go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday in that week, the guy you pick up on Sunday better be doing more than just a game on Sunday. In fact, let's get silly. The Washington Wizards play that Sunday the 15th, They play the 16th, the 18th, the 20th, and the 21st. They have five games in the next seven days. That's the best. So you could drop a Jazz for a Wizard 
And you could technically be streaming that slot for an entire week. You drop them the following Sunday. Pretty cool, right? You made one move, and you ended up with nine games over 13 days. That's pretty good. It's pretty damn good, right? One move, nine games, 13 days. That's a really efficient stream. So this is what we mean when we're talking about maximizing your stream slots. It doesn't have to be just one guy that you go seven times in a given week. You just now, you have three other moves now you could make during that initial week. So one roster slot just became nine games over 13 days. You just, you just took care of 13 days of action and really maximized games played in that regard. Let's go back to the last one. What if you have somebody that plays, uh, oh, I don't know, Monday and Wednesday like the Atlanta Hawks, and then they only have one game the rest of the week. They only have one game the final three days of the week, four days of the week, excuse me. But there are teams that play three times over the final four days of the week. You make one move there, and you get a two-game bonus over the rest of that first playoff week. So that's one move, two extra games in your bucket. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot right now. We're really cooking with gas. So this is what you got to be looking for, and we'll do a lot of that on the podcast as we get into playoff time. Uh, Alex, one of our longtime listeners, what are your thoughts on leagues having an IL plus option where players with a game time decision or out status can be put on the IL even if they're not out for weeks? With all the missed games lately, I think that Yahoo should implement this option. It's frustrating playing head-to-head with random injuries. Alex, you are... A thousand percent right. I see almost no downside to this option other than maybe the the subsequent move is that you really shorten waiver periods in your leagues because if people are able to move guys on and off of IL with these, these very quick short-term injuries, you're going to have a lot of guys coming on and off the waiver wire. And so a lot of guys are going to be on waivers and it's going to create kind of a mess for people picking up and dropping players constantly. Uh, if you shorten the waiver period to like one day, I think that basically takes care of it. The other move you can do, which is harder to implement in a head-to-head league, but in Roto, I just extend the bench. So that way, if you have guys that are out, you don't have to worry about the IL so much. You just have extra roster slots, so it kind of deepens the league a little bit. There's less push and pull because of it, so less roster churn, but also it minimizes the impact of of little short-term injuries. It's a good idea. I really like it. Um, Yahoo's done a pretty good job this year of moving guys into the injured tag as soon as they miss three games, which I think is generally a decent idea. And if that if somebody gets a report that they're out for multiple weeks, they'll usually give them the injured tag as well. The reason we've been getting screwed this year is that teams like Toronto, Minnesota, et al., have been giving us this god-awful indefinite tag on guys that ended up missing four, five, six weeks and you, have to, and you have to wait the first three games to get an injured tag on them anyway, even though that team definitely knows those guys are out for five, five weeks. So yeah, I like it. It's a good idea. 100% ROI says, I have a question in utilizing your moves during playoffs. Would it be better to preserve your playoff move or use it when a good player gets dropped, assuming you got exact moves left for playoffs? Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure I understand the exact specifics of this question, but here's what I'm interpreting this as. You are saying that you have 
uh, full season moves remaining, or you guys have like a total number of moves during the entire playoff period, or are we just talking about just weekly moves limit? So I'll answer it for both directions on this one. If we're talking about just a weekly moves limit, I think it's much more important to have a plan in place. As we were just talking about with the streaming schedule, I have a plan in place come playoff time. And I almost never diverge from it unless a really key player pops up and I can get him without sacrificing more than one game played. That's it. I'm not going to sit on a guy in the playoffs. I'm not going to pick up a guy that is coming back in three days. You cannot screw around like that. Even if it might help you in the next round, you got to get through the round you're in. So I do not keep an eye out for good players getting dropped unless it then fits into my plan. If I can if I can easily substitute one dude for another and it only costs me one game, but I get a far better player, that's the only time I would do it. But I mean, you guys heard me. I got four weekly moves. I'm probably streaming three spots somehow. Somehow. I'll figure out a way. And if we're talking about having a total number of moves for the entire playoffs... That's a that's a tougher ask. I think in that instance, you can actually pick up some good players because you could cover up for whatever game loss you might have by streaming a little harder during that week and then maybe streaming a little bit less the following week when you got that extra star player on your team. So that makes it a little bit easier to stash a guy because you can cover your butt. If you could... You know, if you have 12 moves for the entire playoffs, you could use six the first week while picking up a key guy and hard streaming two roster slots and then hard stream one roster slot each of the next two weeks while actually playing that guy you picked up, if that makes sense. The rest of these questions get a little bit more specific. And so now we'll pivot here at about... Uh, what are we, about 30 minutes into the podcast at this point. So let's dive into some questions that are a tiny bit more player-specific. Those were kind of the big strategy-based questions. First of all, great strategy questions. These are This is really good stuff. Uh, again, just going to read these in the order that Twitter put them up, and we're going to try to spend maybe two or three minutes on each one. These will be a little bit quicker. Uh, Asen says, I'm trying to get Tobias Harris by offering Serge Ibaka. Is it way too much? No, that's not even close to enough. Maybe that's what you meant. Serge Ibaka is not going to get you Tobias Harris. Serge, even while he's been playing well at stretches this year, he's number 78. Tobias Harris is in the mid-50s, pretty much has been the entire season. Uh, He had a stretch where he was near 40. He's been between 40 and 60 pretty much all year. He's like new iteration of C.J. McCollum as a forward instead of a guard. Um, Serge, he obviously plays better when Marc Gasol is out. He's having a good season because Gasol's been out a lot. But that's probably not going to be enough to get you Tobias Harris. You're probably going to have to package that with somebody else in that 75 range. Devontae Graham, Brandon Clark, DeJounte Murray, Jared Allen, that type of pairing might get you Tobias Harris. But otherwise, it probably won't be enough. Is Rocco a solid top 50 player the rest of the season? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, he, He might even go higher than that. Full disclosure here, you guys know I love me some Rob Covington. I was honestly pretty surprised that he was going as high as he did in drafts this year. I thought he would fall into the 60s, and he was going in the 40 to 50 range, and so I didn't get him nearly as often as I expected to. But he has looked so comfortable 
playing for a team that's trying to win. Top 15 over the last week, basically a top 30 guy in Houston. He's going to can a crap ton of threes. He's going to get you a boatload of steals and blocks, and he's just going to be the Rocco that we knew before Minnesota kind of sucked the energy out of him. So, yeah, short version. I don't do the short version of anything on this show, do I? Yes, top 50. And I'd say pretty easily, too. Keith says, 12-team 9-cat. I'm thinking about cutting Dylan Brooks and adding James Johnson. My question... Oh, well, there's two questions here. Um, No, I think I'd stick with Dylan Brooks there. I do think Carl Anthony Towns comes back, at which point James Johnson becomes more of a fringe guy. He's interesting right at this moment. But Dylan Brooks seems to have turned a little bit of a corner in his shooting stuff. I know it's been leveling off a little bit here lately, uh, but he looked more like the safe play the rest of the way. Second question is, with DJ Augustine back, will Markel Fultz's production fall off drastically? I don't know about drastically, but it certainly will fall off at least a little. And with Fultz, he had a really big game going into the All-Star break with 22-5-10 and 10 with two steals. His steals and assist numbers have been pretty good here lately. Field goal percent has actually been decent enough, but there's there's been a bit lacking with him as a, I've called him on this podcast kind of like a, a, a poor man's um, Alfred Payton. Uh, and if any if any fall off for faults takes him pretty far away from 12 team department. So, you know, to say drastically, I don't know that I would, but enough to move him outside of where I'd venture to call a cut line. So let's see what that does. And they might ramp Augustine up. We, you know, you don't need to pre-cut anybody. I'm not a big fan of the pre-cut. You guys know that about me. It's like a circumcision joke here. Hoops ball. Hey, Dan, listen to your show 24-7. That's too much. <laughs> Quick question. Uh, Dwayne Dedman or Mo Wagner? I'm trying to get Dedman. Do you think they'll bite? Um, they should because Wagner actually has the better rest of season appeal. Deadman has the short-term burst here. If Capella misses any time out of the All-Star break, he'll obviously put up the nice numbers in the quick. Wagner is going to be the guy that will settle into his 18-minute role once Thomas Bryant is back and potentially healthy. Uh, and for that reason, I think I'd rather have Wagner the rest of the year. But for me, you know, I'm a games cap guy. I'd rather have Deadman if he gives me another couple of games because Wagner feels like more of kind of an end-of-bench guy. Um, but Deadman is going to be very good and then very irrelevant. So average it all out, Wagner is going to be the better value. But again, if I would rather have the, the, the big hit right now in my Roto Games Cap formats and then not worry about that slot and turn it into a streaming spot, pick up whoever else is hot or an injury fill-in. Whereas this Wagner, you're going to sit on him the rest of the year and his numbers are going to be fine, but nothing awe-inspiring. Toby says, uh, Green and Carroll in Houston, any opinion on that? House's numbers are falling. Do you have any, any ace up your sleeve? I need a boost for the playoffs or just for streaming? Uh, I think this is one of those spots where you kind of have to take a little bit of a wait-and-see approach with the Houston stuff. I think they've really liked what Daniel House has done here lately. I don't know that I would make any massive large-scale adjustments to what I was working with. I mean, these are guys that were, uh, by all accounts, not really playing. Damari Carroll was in San Antonio. Jeff Green in Utah earlier this year. I feel like it's been forever at this point. Uh, Jeff Green might see some playing time. He might actually impact P.J. Tucker, believe it or not, more than anything. You might see Jeff Green play in center. 
So to me, there's a little bit more possible value there. Carroll slots in behind Daniel House, behind Rob Covington, behind all of those guys. So I, I don't think that he's going to play a whole lot. He'll get a little bit of action. Uh, and more than anything, he'll just push out whoever that sort of extra body was behind those other dudes. Unless something flips dramatically, but I, I don't see that coming because he's just... I mean, Demar Carroll's 33 and beat up at this point. He's, he doesn't move that well. Um, Jeff Green is the guy that can potentially spell P.J. Tucker as an undersized potential center. I don't think either of them has fantasy value, but if you're looking at someone who actually could potentially take it, it's the guy that was already sort of had, had taken a hit ages back on this team from the second Russell Westbrook started doing stuff, and that was Tucker. How long should we keep Dinwiddie? I'm assuming that this is... You just mean in general. Um, I don't I don't care, man. You guys, that feels... You may be a more recent listener to the podcast. I, I don't... I've never really been pro-Dinwiddie this year, which I know kind of breaks from the rest of hoopball, and that's okay. We can't be one and the same on everything. Even in his best fill-in times, Dinwiddie ended up kind of falling off a clip. He's number 143 on the year, very much a points and assists specialist that hurts you in all the percentages. Uh, he's, I mean, you know, we're in the part of the season where there's a use for that, so I don't know that I would drop him if your team is relying on his scoring and his assisting, his passing, but if, if your team is potentially very weak in those, if you're punting those, he becomes superfluous very quickly. So the answer to your question is, only you really know how long to hold a guy. He's not, by ranking alone a 12-team, nine-category guy. But I believe you also mentioned here that you're in points leagues, and so, yeah, you hold him forever. Points leagues, he's fantastic because his two biggest issues are field goal and free throw percent, and so for points leagues, those actually tend to have a lower impact. So 21 points a game, almost seven assists, that's great. Points leagues, you hold on to him forever. But if we're talking about super long-term, you're not going to pre-cut. We just talked about this in other respects. Don't dump him right now. I mean, he could get moved potentially. Kevin Durant comes back and Dinwiddie's still there and everybody's healthy, yeah, he's going to be useless. I don't think Cat will be a shut. This is um, from, from Breebox. I don't think Cat's going to be a shutdown, especially now that his new best friend is in town. Is it an opportunity to buy low? Also, is James Johnson the better pickup over Nas Reed since JJ is going to get more minutes? Um, probably yes on the James Johnson thing. Uh, most of their value is going to be tied up in however long Cat is out. And I also agree with you. I don't think Cat's being shut down here. I do think he wants to play. I also don't have the balls to trade for him right now. We're at a, a juncture in the season where it's going to take your probably top player or second best player to get Cat. You're not going to get him for anything less than a second rounder and probably something else on top of that. And if, in fact, he does need to miss two or three weeks here, it becomes a bad proposition. You need him to play sooner than that. I don't have the balls to make that kind of trade with only two months left in the season. Under two months at this point. If you do, more power to you. I don't. What's your rest of season outlook on Lowry Markinen? Well, uh, assuming he comes back in the next two or three weeks, uh, he probably plays inside the top 80, top 90 after that. Not super high on him. Worthwhile stash if you can pick him up off uh, the waiver wire if somebody dropped him that couldn't handle holding on to an injured guy. He's very much someone that should be on 12-team, 9-category rosters the rest of the way. But he's also probably not going to be the guy that wins you your league. And finally, 
we saved the dynasty question for last. Dan, dynasty question. 12-team, 8th category, head-to-head. What? How can it be head-to-head and roto? That can't be both. Can you throw out some names of players who may be on the waiver wire who would be poised to make a leap next season? Answer this question, and I will love you forever. I don't know if it's head-to-head or roto, so I'm just going to ignore that part, and we're just going to look at 12-team, 8-category guys that could potentially make a jump for next year that might be on the waiver wire right now. Uh, The best thing you can do in situations like this is start looking at contract situations. One name that I've come across a number of times is Jeremy Grant, actually. More so in 9-cat than 8-cat, but he's in a prime position because we know he's very good. He's behind Paul Millsap, whose contract expires at the end of the year. Find other situations like that, 9-cat or 8-cat, where there's someone waiting in the wings and a contract situation for the guy in front of them. Nerlens Noel in Oklahoma City, if they can find a way to move Steven Adams next year in his contract year, is one that that jumps out as a possibility. This, to me, is the best way to look at guys that, as potential breakouts that aren't on rosters right now. Most of the young guys with big upside, people have picked them up already, especially if you're in a dynasty format. There aren't you know, promising rookies just sitting around on the wire at this point. Everybody's looking at the young dude hoping to make the big jump for next year. The spot I think you can sneak in like the clever lion that you are is look for someone who's going to move into a starting gig without having to change their scenery. That is where you can find it. That is where some value is tied up. The Nuggets have that in some spots. Uh, We just mentioned the Thunder have that in some spots. You could look at... Who else is on the chart for things like that? Maybe the Kings next year. If you sit on someone who might be in their backup situation, Jabari Parker possibility. We might see him play a little bit more here down the stretch. The Warriors are kind of the anti this situation because all of their interesting dudes are playing right now and then the Stars are going to come back next year. But look at contract situations. The Raptors, could someone like Norman Powell move into more playing time next year? What about the Heat? They have 9,000 guys on their roster. This is where I think you should be looking. Where is there a thinning coming on teams? And someone can step into a more interesting role. But the young guys, I think, are, are a tough bet at this point. Young guys have been picked up. And that's your mailbag show, folks. Good questions. Really good questions. I love the the... The strategy ones. That's some of my favorite stuff to talk about on the pod. Again, if you've got time between 9 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Pacific time and you want to get on the phone and make some money, give me a holler at Dan Bespris on Twitter or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Tomorrow, Brandon Marcus will get into some stuff as we almost exit the All-Star break. We're almost there. Hot diggity damn. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Once again, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Mailbag Tuesday in the books. Back at you tomorrow with more here during the break. We'll talk to you then. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.